little bit of my story. Um, grew up in Miami, Florida, and then uh, in 89, I was 15 years old, relocated up here uh, to uh, with my family um, to Kingsport, and then finished high school there, and then uh, went to East Tennessee State uh, at Johnson City, uh, and did my four and a half years there, and uh, then have been away for several years, and God brought us back to this area. But but spending part of my life in Miami and, and then the other chunk of my life has been um, in the cultural south, the Bible Belt, if you will, um, seeing a lot of, of things. It's been an interesting journey for me seeing Christianity in um, a very incredibly worldly, secular area and then in what we, some people would call a hyper-religious area in this region and seeing the contrast of those two things. And what I realized is that... Um, this area could be really uh, such a blessing and a spiritual greenhouse in a lot of ways. There's, there's a lot of things um, morally that seem to be on the surface level a little better than maybe in a big city. But under the surface, it's really no different. And in fact, it's almost a little bit more dangerous because uh, we're almost anesthetized by religion here. And it's, we're all so exposed to it. I, I remember talking to a professor from um, East Tennessee State. She uh, teaches in the sociology department there. And she's from the Northeast. Um, she has grown up still active in the Roman Catholic Church and really nice lady. Uh, but she was talking to me. She, she moved here several years ago to teach at ETSU. And she, this is at Panera Bread. And um, she, uh, a friend introduced me. And she said, well, why? Can I ask you a question? She had that kind of northern uh, accent. And just like that. I really want to ask you a question. Why do you start another church here? Like, I, I ask my students all the time. I drive past like 15 churches on the way from Milligan Highway um, to the ETSU. And I don't understand, why would you start another church? And I said, that's a great question. And it's been asked before. And I've had to ask that question. And the answer is, there's lots of churches. This area is, is over-churched, you could say, but under-gospel. And she, I don't think she understood exactly what I meant by under-gospel. And in fact, I wanted to tell her she didn't give me the opportunity. But as soon as I said that, over-church, under-gospel, she said, I know exactly what you're saying. All right. That's great. I'm excited for you being here. And, and that's all she needed. And, and that's the reality. And I don't say that. Please understand. I do not say that to think that, uh, that we're the only ones who have it figured out. That is not our heart. But we just believe that there's a need for some fresh expresses of the gospel. And we feel like there's a lot of folks in this area that are caught up in religiosity, is what I call it, or, or superficial religion, where it's all about the external things. It's all about your appearance. It's all about how you act and what you do and what you're not supposed to do and what you're... And it's all this list of, of, of uh, external things. And if you look right, if you do these things, then you're good. And if you don't do these things, then you're bad. In fact, in a lot of churches, there's so much taught about moralism. Here's what a Christian should do. You're supposed to do... The, and there's a list of things that are, are given that, that teach moralism. And, and the message every Sunday is if you do these things, then you're righteous. Well, what happens when you... So, so you have two categories of people. You have one category of people who feel like, you know, I do those things, so I'm very righteous. And they're really not. And then you have another group of people who feel like, I will never live up. I will never be good enough to go to their church or to be with their group or to be with their thing. And they just feel like they will never measure up to the expectations that are placed upon them. And the reality is that is not the message of the Bible. In fact, if we go back several thousand years, the first letter written by the Apostle Paul was to churches in the region of Galatia. Galatia is not a city, it's a region um, north of the Mediterranean Sea. And he wrote this letter because they started off really well, but then they took a bad turn. 
And, and they were going about to head off a cliff in their spiritual journey. And Paul was so shocked that he wrote this letter, and it is, it's really an interesting letter. When you read the introduction to all the letters of Paul, this stands out. It's the most harsh, um, intense letter of all letters. You might say, well, Corinthians, isn't Corinthians, that church was really messed up. This one's even worse. He says lots of nice things at the beginning of all the other letters. But this one, he does a basic greeting, and then he jumps right into, look, ah, there's some issues here we need to address. And so I, I felt like, and as we prayed through, okay, what, would, what do we need to journey through um, as a book in the Bible that will help us um, spiritually with the climate that we find ourselves living in? It felt like Galatians is, is the word for, for us here. And so Galatians chapter 1, let me read Galatians 1, 6 through 10. In fact, let's just begin with verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, you might say the region of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now that's the end of the niceties. And then he shifts gears. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel... From heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you? Let him be accursed. Even if an angel or we preach to you a different gospel, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say to you again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I'm trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. We pray. Father, I pray in the next couple moments that you would give us insight to look past our assumptions, to look past the way we were raised, to look past the expectations that have been placed upon us or we have placed upon ourselves. The list that we have um, unknowingly Lift it up in our lives that we need to live by it. If we do these things, we will be pleasing to you. And God, free us from that bondage to find freedom in Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we, as we look at this passage, the first thing we need to understand is, and we're, we're going to talk about false religion, or I might use the word religiosity. And by religiosity, I mean superficial Christianity. And let me give you one more disclaimer. Religion a um, hundred years ago, the word religion was a really good word. And even today, in fact, last night I was in Sam's and I met a guy checking me out and um, I, I had some launch cards and the date, you know, is the 25th and so I knew that these are going to expire. So, so I handed him one and said, hey, you going to church anywhere? And um, he said, yeah. I go, he goes, man, I'm really religious. And, and um, he goes, oh, the church is big to me. And I don't think he meant it in a bad way. Okay, so I, some people use the word religion or religious, and they don't need it bad. But generally speaking, if we poll, if we do a sampling of, of the region or even the United States, our, our country, 
religion generally is, is, has a negative connotation. A lot of people will say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Okay? And, and I think that there's some, there's some wisdom in that because religion is about rules and it's about do's and it's about don'ts. It's about moralism. And there's tons of different world religions. And I want to say Christianity is, should be distinguished from them because it does not teach moralism. That is contrary to biblical Christianity. Now, a lot of people have taught Christianity as a version of moralism. But, th but that's what other religions say. You need to live by these, these pillars or you need to follow this path. If you do these things, then you will be free from this earthly world or your physical body, and you can have this higher life, and that's not the message of the Bible. And so, when we talk about false religion, we're talking about superficial Christianity or, or superficial religiosity. Alright, so false religion, first of all, must be exposed. It must be exposed. Paul puts the light on it really quick. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ, for another gospel, even though it's not really another gospel, it's completely different. It's foreign to the biblical concept of salvation taught from Genesis to this point through the gospels. False religion. The, the interesting thing about um, Paul's words here is he, he uses such a strong word. Um, and, and what he's saying is, I'll give you three points. The first, he's talking about the rapidness of their desertion. The rapidness of their desertion. It's a so quickly desertion. He says in, in verse 6, I'm amazed that you are so quickly departing. What he means by that is, is not but several months ago, probably less than a year, Paul was there teaching them the gospel. And, and I think what happened in Galatia, he was planting churches. So they're starting churches in that region. And what, what he would do is he would hit a synagogue first. He would teach in the synagogue. And then when he got kicked out of the synagogue, because they realized he was teaching a message that many of them were uncomfortable with, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the one that they had looked for who had now come and died for their sins, and they needed to repent and trust in Jesus, they would kick him out of the synagogue and he would go to the marketplace. And so that, that was his mission strategy. And so they began to plant churches all over the region of Galatia, and that was his first missionary journey. And then he catches word that a group of people from the Jerusalem church, known as the Judaizers, okay, the Judaizers had traveled up there and they were going behind Paul saying, Paul's really not a legitimate apostle, number one. And number two, they were saying, his message is insufficient. It is not just Jesus that saves you. And so they begin to buy into this. And they begin to think, okay, well, we want to honor God. So they kept going back to the law and misinterpreting it. And they begin teaching a different religion. And it was a Jesus plus. We'll talk more about that in a moment. So he's amazed, first and foremost, at the rapidness of their desertion. That, that so they, they hadn't been walking with Jesus very long, and they're already off track. And he's shocked by that. And, and then he, he, this concept of the desertion, he says um, that you so quickly are deserting him. That word literally means, it's, it's not like, you guys might remember during the Vietnam War, um, where uh, some people didn't want to fight in the Vietnam Wars. They had various things they would do to try to get out of service. Some would move to Canada, okay? And they would just jump ship, and they would go, and they would switch countries, or they would do different things. When he talks about desertion, that is not what he's talking about. He's not talking about saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here because I don't want to get hit, or I want to try a different route, or I'm going to just go over here to the side. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something that looks more like in the American Revolution. Our kids are studying this at our house, and uh, we've been talking a lot about the, the American Resolu Revolution. Resolution. Revolution. You might recall that American colonials were fighting for freedom under the tyranny of British rule. 
okay, under the tyranny of the king. And they wanted freedom from that, taxation without representation. They didn't like that. And so they're fighting for their freedom. Um, and they were fighting. Everybody remember, what's the name that they used, the slang name they used to describe the, the British army? The Redcoats, right. They were the Redcoats. They were the Redcoats. But what happened is there were colonialists that, that were, you know, American citizens born in this free country, living under the blessings of this new land, and yet many of them switched and they shifted from being red, uh, being, Amer you know, with the colonialists to becoming loyalists with the British army. And they were not called Redcoats, but they were called Turncoats, all right? Turncoats. The most famous of them is a guy by the name of Benedict Arnold. And to this day, there's a monument for Benedict Arnold north of Schenectady, uh, New York, in a park there. You might see the, the uh, monument behind me. Now, you notice there's something odd about this. There's only a leg. And what, what happened is he actually fought um, for the colonialists against the king and had some great battles where he really helped the colonialists in a huge way, the Americans, during the Revolution. And in one of those battles, in fact, in two of those battles, his, his leg was wounded very seriously. Now, he survived that and went on to switch teams, and he became the Benedict Arnold, the betrayer. And he switched to become one of the turncoats, the most notable turncoats. Died, ostracized in England in shame. But the Americans wanted to honor the battles that he had led them in. And so they honored the part of his body that had been injured during that great, those great battles. And so they have a monument to his leg. And I think it's, it's funny in some ways, but it's also revealing. Because so many of us, we start off really good. But then it gets too hard and we switch gears and we get back to what we've known before. We maybe go back to the world or maybe we go back to moralism and we have a version of Christianity that we're trying to live that really doesn't match up with Scripture. And then we think back in the history, we think about, you know, I remember that season when I was a teenager or when I was in college or when I was young married or when I was, whatever the stage is, and, and there's a section of our life that we look back and we say, now, things were really good then. But then the rest of our life doesn't really bear witness to who we really are. There's a contradiction there. He, he says, beware of being a deserter. I'm amazed so quickly that they have turned their turncoats. And they have switched teams. They have betrayed. Um, having tasted the freedoms of Christ, they have turned away to a truth that is the way of the enemy and of error. So the rapidness of their desertion. Third, or secondly, the rationality of their desertion. See, they're not changing to a peripheral doctrinal position. Okay, They're not saying, you know what, I believe that it's I've worshipped better when there's um, windows and the roof's plugged and there's pews. And so um, I like that better. You know, which I don't know why. I mean, these are really comfortable chairs. Please don't sleep on me, by the way. Um, but, but it's not that they're changing to a different version of, well, I really like this translation better than that translation. I really like this thing better than that thing. I really like this style of music other than that style. That's not what they're, they're completely changing. They're going to a different gospel. Um, they're, they're turning to a completely different way of thinking. So a lot, lot deeper than just preferences. In fact, let me just pause for a second and say that sometimes your preferences can become a false gospel. So it's one thing to say, well, I really don't like this style of music or this translation or I prefer this kind of seats or this kind of environment. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you step past that, you say, you know what? 
if you don't sing this style of music or use this translation or do things this certain way, then you're not as spiritual. Now you've put up this measurement that spiritual people do this. And non-spiritual people, they do things this way. And so I am more moral and I am more righteous because I tuck my shirt in. Or I'm more righteous because I dress a certain way or act a certain way or go a certain place. And that is a false gospel. But if you have a different preference, that's not a big deal. And that, it wasn't about preferences. This is really a false gospel they were teaching. This is a big deal. So the third thing is the reason for the desertion. We're going to spend the most time here. They deserted the true gospel for a false gospel from a false source. A false gospel from a false source. The false source was the Judaizer. It says in verse 7, not that there is another one, another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a different gospel, contrary to what we preach, let him be accursed. So there are some who have crept in unnoticed. Later on, he's going to call in the book of Galatians, he's going to call them the pseudo-Adelphos. Adelphos is brothers. Pseudo is false. He's going to call them the false brethren. And what's interesting about that is, is when you have brethren, we consider them part of the group, right? And so they have crept in unnoticed, he says. They've come into the group and they've infiltrated our ranks and they're around us, and, and yet we have... Uh, they, they, they've come in unnoticed. And now they're teaching something completely different. And we've trusted that they were teaching the right thing, but it was really the wrong thing. And so I, he is shocked by that. This group, this false source. Deception was not obvious. It was gradual. The deceivers were not trying to destroy the church. They, the nature of their deception is that the one who's deceiving and being deceived doesn't know it. That's what makes deception so dangerous. It's just like cancer just grows unnoticed, and, and then you don't really realize its effects until often it's very serious. Here's what their deception was. It wasn't that, um, that Jesus isn't God. They weren't saying, well, Jesus can't save you. They weren't saying um, that you, know, you, um, you have to, uh, you know, denying the Bible, denying God. That wasn't their deception. See, real salvation must consider the whole of Scripture. What they were saying is they were going back to a section of Scripture. Um, I'm sorry, they were saying we, we were looking at a section of Scripture in the New Testament. We need to go back to the big picture. We've got to go back to Moses. There's a lot of things Moses commanded us to do that you guys aren't doing. And you really need to do. Look, it's in the Bible. And people start looking at that. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. So they, they begin to get deceived because they were having Scripture being misrepresented to them, and, and they bought into it. What, what was that false representation? Well, it was a false gospel. Here, here's what it was. It was a Jesus plus anything equals salvation. That was their false gospel. Specifically, it was Jesus plus circumcision. That was the issue that they were talking about. Jesus plus circumcision. They were saying, the law says that believers are supposed to be circumcised. You have a lot of new Gentiles in the in this new church, and many of them are circumcised, and so they're, they're not as spiritual as us who are obeying the law. The law says we're supposed to worship on the Sabbath. You guys are worshiping on Sundays. You're not as spiritual as us. You're wrong on that one. The law says you're supposed to eat, eat certain things. You're not eating the right things, and so you're wrong on that one. So they started adding these things, and they were saying that Jesus plus the Mosaic law, specifically circumcision and other issues, is the gospel. They're saying that is where salvation is. Yes, it is Jesus does save us, but... You also have to do these things. And that is a false gospel. That's a false gospel. The Jesus plus religion is a false gospel. 
And so, you think, well, what, what are the things that I'm, I'm relying on in my life? And that, that's the challenging part of this, is think about our, our words might say that we believe in Jesus. But if we closely examine our lives, what we often find is there's two major warnings in our lives. Some of us, I would say all of us, all of us at times, find ourselves trying to redeem ourselves through good works, through good deeds. If I do these things, God will be pleased with me. If I serve, if I go on a mission trip, if I give, if I'm baptized, if I go to church, if I, if I go to church in a theater, that's huge. That's got to really be pleased with me. If I go to a new church, that, that's got to mean salvation because that's really suffering. And so, you know, we start adding these things together and, and we, we start Jesus plus my good deeds. The problem is there's nothing good enough that we'll ever do that's going to please God. God calls our good works filthy rags. So they're, they're worthless to him. And so Jesus plus good works is never going to redeem us. And our, so our words might say that we believe in Jesus, but here's the other issue. Is we, if we closely examine our lives, we're going to find that there's functional saviors. There's, there's things in our lives that function as our source of salvation. And this is huge. I, I pray that you'll, you'll grasp what I'm, what I'm talking about, that you'll understand what I'm saying here. If we examine our lives, we'll find that there's functional saviors that we have shaped our lives around. Now, what, what is a functional savior? It is anything that I look to for salvation other than Jesus. Other than you, you might say, well, there, Jesus is my hope for salvation. Maybe so. But are there other things that you've added that you look to? So what do you mean by that? What, what am I looking to? What are you looking to? What am I looking to to save me or to satisfy me or to fulfill me or to deliver me? You see, there's a lot of things. We're sitting in a movie theater. A lot of people love movies. They love entertainment. They can't get enough media. I mean, we have to really watch our kids. They go from the you know, the Nintendo DS to the Nintendo Wii to the, you know, this thing to that thing. They're constantly, we have to limit their time because if, if we let them, they would play video games constantly. They would be plugged into something. Okay, you see kids now, I mean, I remember being with some college students, um, I made a mission team here last week, a couple weeks ago, and it used to be whenever you had a mission team of college students or youth, they played cards all the time. Whenever they had downtime, they're playing cards, they're having fun, they're playing games. They're Now... They're all sitting with their heads down, and it looks like they're texting somebody or whatever, and half the time they're playing a game with one another. You just don't know it. You, know, you don't realize they're actually interacting, and they're, they're still doing stuff, but, but they're so plugged in that it's just a, part, it's a, a separate appendage, right? And so entertainment becomes a distraction, and, and we forget the problems and the challenges of life. If I just read another book, or if I just go to another movie, or if I just watch this thing, then I can escape and I feel better about my life. Certainly, alcohol or different chemical dependencies is a place for escape for a lot of people. It's a place where a lot of people escape. There could be sports or recreation. A lot of good things are not bad things that become functional saviors for us, and, and that becomes idolatry. When we worship those things, when those are the places we look to for our hope, for our freedom, for our peace, that is dangerous. Functional saviors. Let me put it this way. There's a, a quote here by... Jerry Bridges, he says this, Sometimes we look to other things to satisfy and fulfill us, to save us. These functional saviors can be any object of dependence we embrace that isn't God. They become the source of our identity, our security, our significance. 
because we hold an idolatrous affection for them in our hearts. They preoccupy our minds and consume our time and our resources. They make us feel good and somehow even make us feel righteous. Whether we realize it or not, they control us and we worship them. It's functional saviors. All of us have them in our life. Every one of us have things that we tend to run to. It might be your kids. It might be your spouse. It might be a relationship. It might be your job. Or it might be the good things you do. But there's things we do that help us find salvation and hope and peace in this world. And they have taken the place of Jesus, which is really our only hope. And so Jesus plus functional saviors or Jesus plus religiosity, both of those equal death, not life. Paul was shocked that they had deserted this Jesus um, alone gospel for a Jesus plus false religion. So false religion must be exposed. I think we've, we've sufficiently done that this morning. But secondly, false religion has got to be, religiosity has got to be avoided. How do we avoid it? Well, a couple points we find in the text. All these points are in the text. Verse 8 says this, But even if we are an angel from heaven preach, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one you preach, let it be accursed. The first thing we need to avoid is, is false messengers. Beware of false messengers. Whether principalities or people, whether it's angels or humans, okay, no matter who it is, there's a lot of religions that have been founded upon an angel coming and giving a message. Okay? Mormonism teaches that. Islam teaches that. It was founded by an angel that gave them this message. And so he's saying, beware of that. Stay away from that. Um, principalities and persons, angels or apostles, we have got to be careful of the messenger. Let me, let me give you the statement. It is not the messenger... It is not the messenger that legitimizes the message. It is the message that legitimizes the messenger. Say it again. It's not the messenger that legitimizes or proves the message. It is a, the message that legitimizes the messenger. See, there's a lot of people, even if Billy Graham, if Billy Graham, towards the end of his life here, he's, he's still speaking every once in a while, he comes out public and he'll share a little bit or write a do a devotion or do something, if he starts at this point in life with all the credibility of his ministry and what an incredible man he has been for, and, and how God has used him all over the world, but if he teaches a false gospel, Paul says, let him be accursed. Okay? If whatever leader you want to put up there, you could say Rick Ward, you could say um, Joel Olstein, you could say Oprah Winfrey, okay? you could say whoever it is, it, it, it doesn't matter how many viewers they have, doesn't matter how popular they are, doesn't matter how cool people think, doesn't matter how big of a stadium they can fill, it doesn't matter. We have to question their message, and if it's a Jesus plus anything else, message is a false gospel. You understand? If, if we, teaching here at Crosslife, and if our life groups begin to teach a moralism, Jesus plus moralism equals salvation, Jesus plus whatever you want to do equals salvation, that, that, that is a false gospel. We, we have to teach Jesus alone is salvation. So the messenger is legitimized by the message. Um, John Piper said this, of this word anathema, which is the, the word let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. That's a strong word. It's the Greek word anathema. When we hear that word accursed, it doesn't really do anything for you. He said when you hear the word accursed, we should hear it like a child hears his first bolt of thunder. <coughs> of, of, of thunder um, lightning and thunder. 
He says, Satan does his best with television radio to create in our minds, a um, to create in us a mind that is trivial and petty and <coughs> earthly, that we find ourselves incapable of feeling what terrifying truth is in the word anathema. Oh, how we need to guard ourselves from the barrage of eternity-denying entertainment. We need to cultivate a pure and childlike imagination in, who, that hears a word like anathema the way a child hears his first peal of thunder, or feels his first earthquake or tremor, or, or suffers his first storm at sea. The Bible does not reveal to us the eternal curse of God that we may yawn and turn the page. The wrath of God revealed to shake is revealed to shake unbelievers out of their stupor, to take the swagger out of the Christian's walk and the cocky twang out of his voice. When he says anathema, it should shock us. It should wake us up. What? Anathema? It means to be destroyed down to the foundation. It means to be completely destroyed and wiped away. Accursed. That's how big a deal this is. And yet so many churches don't really sift through their message. A dangerous thing. met a, a young lady um, last week. And um, rough background, a lot of um, challenges in her life. And one of the things she said, um, a couple of friends of ours were giving out some information about the church. Came by her house and she was sitting out front. They, they started a conversation. They began to share with her about the gospel. About how to be a Christian and what the Bible teaches about our sin. And, and that Jesus has come, that we can have forgiveness. And she was shocked to hear that she could be forgiven of her sins. And she paused them and she said, are you telling me that God can forgive all of my sins? I said, absolutely. That's what the Bible teaches. She showed her several, showed her several verses. She said, I've grown up all my life. And in fact, I have a grandfather who's a Church of Christ background. And he got all, all I've ever heard. And whether this is what he told her or not, this is what she heard. All she ever heard was, if you sin... God will turn his back on you. And that's the only message she ever got. That's the only message she ever got. That was a false religion. So beware of the false religion. Secondly, beware of a false message. There's one gospel. I've talked about this quite a bit already. But salvation is by grace alone. Through faith alone. It's by grace through faith. There's nothing you can do that's going to ever impress God. There's nothing you can do that's ever going to please God. There's nothing you can ever do to pay back God. God has saved you by His unmerited favor placed upon you. You did not earn it. You cannot pay it back. You cannot keep it. It is a gift. You can rest in it. You can cling to it. You can flourish in it. Or you can be outside of it. But you can't cling to it and then try to earn it at the same time. It doesn't work that way. That's a false religion. So beware of the false messengers. Beware of the false message. And then thirdly, um, beware of your motives. Verse 10, he says, it seems like an odd verse to kind of tack on the end of the section, but he says, "For I, now, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? Because if I am trying to please man, would I be a servant of Christ? What he is getting at here is, is do you think I'm saying these things so that I can win friends and influence people? Or do you think I'm saying these things because God's called me his met and I'm teaching what he's taught? So I'm not saying this to get popularity points. I'm not saying this so you'll like me. I'm saying this because this is the truth and I'm going to die by this truth or, or for this truth, which eventually he would. I'm going to cling to this and if, it, if I have to take a bullet for this, if I get my head chopped off, which he did, for this truth, I will, uh, that's what I'll do. But you cannot 
play for the applause of men. That's what he's saying. Beware of false messenger, message, and third motives. Do not labor for men or for God. See, the danger Paul's war warning us of is to test our motives. See, what, what we often do is we, um, we're motivated by our desire to justify ourselves and make ourselves feel good or righteous. So we have a tendency to surround ourselves with messages that make us feel better. We even try to surround ourselves by messages that, that Paul would say later in 2 um, Timothy that tickle our ears. You know, I, I realize if Jesus was on earth, he would have a very small church. Okay? He would not have a mega church. He would not have a huge... Because he would tell people, you know, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to hate your mother, your father, brother, sister. You're gonna, I mean, you're gonna have to, those are going to have to be way um, low on your priorities, those relationships, as compared to your relationship with if you're going to follow me, look, I don't have anything to give you. Um, I don't have a pillow. I don't have a house. I don't have. I have nothing to give you, but you can come follow me. But you're going to have to leave everything behind. He would say things like that would shock people. Because he wanted to help them understand that, that you can't come bringing any of your righteousness or your confidence or your thing and attitudes. He said in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus made the point that uh, in the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed is the, are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt, who, who when they pull out their spiritual pockets, they don't even have lint in them. They have nothing of value to give to God. And when you come to that point in your life where you go, man, I have nothing good. There's the kingdom of God. Now I've got something for it. You have to come to that point in your life. But, but we want to surround ourselves with messages that make us feel better about ourselves, right? We, that make us, or people that are going to parrot for you're good, you're alright, you're great, you're doing good. No, you're really spiritual. You're a really good person. You're a really nobody would ever say you're this. No, of course you're going to heaven. No, of course you're this. Of course you're rather than really just testing, okay, God, would you, would your spirit, Romans says, that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Your mama and your grandma don't bear witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. The Holy Spirit bears witness. And so we have to test it, ask God, reveal God, show me. Do I know you? Do I have a relationship with you? And search these things. Beware of the false messengers, message and motives. The, the, the problem with religiosity, and we kind of bring this home and land the plane here, and the problem with religiosity is that it only leads to death. Superficial, external Christianity is a death sentence. Moralism is a death sentence. It will never bring freedom. Our efforts to redeem ourselves will never give us freedom, nor will any functional saviors ever substitute for or add to Jesus. He alone, he alone has become our substitute and secured our freedom. He became our substitute dying on the cross. He paid for our sins. And he has secured our freedom in that you stand before Christ in his righteousness you have salvation. There's two issues, and we'll talk more about this in three weeks on Easter Sunday as we talk about what is the gospel does it even matter. That's what we're going to get to. Because Paul's going to have to defend this message in the, as we move on in this book to other people. And he puts it in front of the other apostles and they, they challenge his message. And here's the message of salvation. There's two things Jesus accomplished on the cross. The first one is that he died for our sins. The second one is his perfect life provided a righteousness that we don't have. There's two things you need to get into heaven. The first one is you can't have sin in your life. 
And so we've all sinned, so we're messed up there. Well, Jesus dealt with that sin. The second thing is you need to be righteous, and we're not. So Jesus paid for our sin, number one. Number two, he has provided a righteousness that we do not have as our substitute in securing our freedom. I'm told that there's a camp in Poland. Uh, it's supposed to have just a beautiful entrance. It, it always did. It's, it's been there for years and years. Elaborate landscaping. And on the outside, it looked like a great place when you look past kind of the, the outer walls. And there was a couple buildings in the front that looked like really beautiful buildings. So it looked really good on the outside. But as you entered into it and across, uh, across the archway was written in German, words translated, work makes free. Work makes free. Free. Through work, through effort, through labor, you'll have freedom. This is a labor camp, you I'm sure have heard of it, it's called Auschwitz. Many people entered, many people worked. None found freedom through that gate. All experienced suffering and misery and millions cruel death. Someone once said, the only way out of here is through the smokestack. And that is external religiosity. It looks really pretty on the outside. The gate looks nice. Flowers planted. Fence looks beautiful. But when you get on inside of it, there's nothing but death there. We'll never be able to do enough to set ourselves free. We'll never, unless God sends somebody there to break us free from that prison camp, we are without hope. But yet God has sent Jesus Christ to come and to pay for our sins as a substitute, number one, and number two, to provide a righteousness that we do not have. And we're so thankful for that reality. So um, imagine leaving here this morning with the freedom of knowing that you cannot fool God, with the freedom of knowing that I can never please God by my religious performance. No amount of outward, no amount of outward superficial games I play will ever save me. No amount of religious games are ever going to save me, but Jesus has satisfied the punishment that I have earned. And if I would just repent of my sins and my self-righteousness, my sins and my self-righteousness, and put my faith in Jesus, the substitutionary death for me, and stand in His righteousness, I can truly be free. That is the true gospel. Repent. Put your faith and trust in His death on the cross and His righteousness that He has placed for you. So an application in your, in your bulletins, there's a, there's a space there, there's a section there for application. And we're going to sing a song of, of, of kind of commitment and a song just to, to process what God has been teaching us in these moments through His Word as it has been opened up for us. And I want to ask you that the, during this time, if you put your info cards um, in the offering plate in a moment, um, offering basket. Um, if you, if you, um, God has put on your heart to give, you're welcome to do that. But, but during these moments, one of the things, if if you do not have a relationship with Christ, if you this morning, if you've been hearing these things, you're going, you know what? I don't know if I have trusted in biblical Christianity. I'm not sure if I. I'm thinking that a lot of my life has been built around the Jesus Plus model, and not Jesus alone. If that's you, and you want to explore that, you want to sit down. We would love to. to shepherd you through that question in your life. We'd love to minister. Yeah, for that matter, if you're there and you're going, man, I don't want to go home until I nail this down. We'd love to talk to you. We're not going to have a formal invitation, but you are invited 
to have a conversation with us. I would love to talk to you. Dave would love to talk to you. other folks here would love to talk to you about that. Or you can write that on the card and we will make an appointment. We'd love to come and talk to you this week or meet you somewhere to, um, to talk to you about that. Or if you'd like more information, you, whatever, you want to talk about whatever question you have or prayer request, place that on that card. But then on the application section of your sheet, there's a couple questions. Which one do I normally get caught up in? Do I get caught up in legalism? That's trying to perform by doing good things. Or lawlessness, doing whatever I want. Trying to escape through sin. Which one do you tend to struggle with? This is for your own benefit. You're not turning this in. This is for you to, to uh, apply the things God has been speaking to you about. This, the second question is, what are the functional saviors that I often run to in my life? What are the functional saviors? Again, all of us have them. So what, what are they? Let's just put a name on them so we can ask God to free us from that and to, to, um, to kill that in our lives. What's the Jesus plus thing? What would you push in that equation? Because it only leads to guilt, misery, doubt, and death. But Jesus plus surrender and faith leads to freedom, peace, joy, and life. Let's pray, and then we'll worship through song. You can um, you can give, put your cards in there, and then fill out these um, your application questions, and then, then just worship through singing as you um, sing with us. Father, we pray that you would help us, God, in these moments to not lose the seeds that you have planted through your word. Lord, I am so thankful for your word that cuts through religiosity, that cuts through traditionalism, that cuts through a distorted, perverted gospel that has been taught so often that if we would just do these things, then we'll keep God happy. I'm thankful that in these moments we can just fall to our knees, whether literally or whether just in our hearts. And we can recognize that freedom is only found in that you have come as the rescuer. You have set us free from the death camp of sin and religiosity. We pray in these moments that you would uh, allow this truth to, to flower, to, to, to blossom, to grow in our hearts. Father, thank you for these men and women that are here, these families that have come, individuals that are here to be a part of this service. We just pray that that from this point forward, God, that you would protect the message that we teach through our lives, those of us who would identify ourselves as cross-life church. And oh God, may this church always be true to your gospel. And should we teach a different message than the message you delivered? Oh God, may this church be accursed. May you remove your lampstand. May you set your presence. May you destroy it to the ground. God, I thank you for the churches in our community, the churches in the Tri-Cities area. The churches minister to 500,000 people in this region. Even this morning, that are true to the message of the gospel, Lord, would they flourish? Would you multiply them? And God, the ones that are teaching moralism and just confusing people and only leading to spiritual death, oh God, I pray that you would revive them, renovate them, or destroy them if it would be your will. But God, in our lives, help us to apply these truths and to be obedient to what you have called us to. In Jesus' name.